Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we've got a really special treat because we have an agent. Which agent is that? Amira Holiday, who is a junior agent at Serendipity Lit. Amira, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Very, very glad. I'm very excited to have you. Just to kind of put it in there, Amira kind of responded to agree to be on this podcast and we arranged this all within about four minutes. Okay, it was a little bit... (laughs) A little bit more than that, but we are very excited that we got that this worked out, and we are very excited to speak with you. So thank you so much. No problem. So glad it worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we always start off kind of just looking at it from the beginning. Either short or long answer. How did you even get into this? Where did this, I'm going to be an agent, come from? <laughs> I actually had kind of no idea that agenting for books was a thing. I took a publishing course in my college, my senior year of college. I was right on the cusp of leaving. I was an English lit major. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I knew I didn't want to write books. I just wanted to be involved with them somehow. And in this course, they had a lot of people come from the industry and kind of explain their job to us. It was kind of like a very quick process. They would come in, they would tell us what they do answer questions and leave. And during the process, one of the people who came was an agent. I think that that agent repped adult fiction and maybe comics at the time, but either way, they kind of opened my mind to the idea of these are the people who go out into the world and like find the light and then share it with other people. And so I was like, okay, well, since I can't write books, I can definitely help people project their story out. And I was all in after that. But then it took a while to kind of figure out how to get in. The way you just explained it like that, of finding light, spreading it to the world. Okay, (laughs) I would do that. Well, so just to follow up a second, you said that you were an English lit major. So there was something about, I guess we could say either literature or the written word that kind of always appealed to you. A little bit. I would say that I kind of found books in high school. I wasn't really a big reader as a kid. I was actually a pretty slow reader. And that kind of led the school that I was in to believe that I kind of like had a reading issue. So they were like forcing me in reading classes and it kind of just made me hate books in general. And it wasn't until all of my best friends got obsessed with Twilight in high school that I finally was forced to read books and I realized how magical they could be. And after that, I was all in, so. Okay, that was, let's say, I'm processing this, but also because, so one of the first books that you kind of read quickly or that got you into reading was Twilight or just kind of the craze around Twilight? Maybe a little bit of both, but I, I do credit Twilight for kind of like opening my mind to the idea that books can become a phenomenon. That is great. I haven't read Twilight and I probably won't, but it's so <laughs> great. No, it's so great when you hear about how a book like working in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, look, there's so many worlds out here. I've seen also, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I've heard from multiple people that one thing that also Twilight did was that it really blew up the young adult genre. Because it was kind of always there, but there had to be proof of it being like a moneymaker. That's what Twilight did. That's what it did with the adaptations of, hey, it's an actual viable business option. Mm-hmm. You know, not yes. just for passion projects kind of. Yeah, wow, that's great. That kind of also put you on the path of wanting to be an English lit to going into that sort of stuff. Well, actually, I went to college as a dance major on oh. a dance scholarship. Yeah. Oh, okay. I started college as a dance major, and about halfway through my first semester, I was kind of just, there's no way I can take this as far as I need to take it in order for it to be viable. Right. And so I was in my college counselor's office, and she was like, well, what else do you do? I was like, I don't know. I read sometimes. She was like, let's go and check out some English classes. And so that kind of sent me on my path. 
Wow, that's great. So that, and then you didn't even realize what you were going to do. It was just like, well, I like these courses. And it wasn't until you were almost out the door that you found yes. out about it. Wow. <laughs> well, you said you never wanted to be a writer. You just feel for yourself personally. Like that's not where the love of books is for you. Maybe a little bit of both. Okay. I felt like I had taken a class on like short stories, I believe, and it involved so much detail. I was used to writing in the poetry format, but writing a story and filling in the place, the time, how it feels, what it looks like, I was like, this is way too much. Yeah. Anyone who can create the world on the page is like a gift because I can't do it. And so I was like, yeah, I can't do this for. 10 pages, let alone a whole book. Yeah. So I knew that writing stories wasn't my path. Yeah. Did you think about doing editing or something like that? Or it kind of was all the same to you? Like, no, we're not doing the long pages. We're going to do another part of this. I didn't actually consider editing, but props to editors because it's a process that includes so much detail that I think I would kind of get lost in it. Yeah, that's fair. Hey, I need all types, so... Yes. Yeah, cool. So after that, you started looking into kind of internships or how did you end up where you are now? Yeah, I looked into internships for a while, but being based on the West Coast, there's kind of not a whole lot you can do out here. And mm -hmm. at the time that I graduated, it just wasn't very feasible for me to move. So okay. I was kind of looking into things that I could do remote, which back then kind of wasn't a thing. And I started doing social media for authors. I had met an author who was kind of looking for a social media intern and I started doing that. And she connected me with another author who had a book coming out and she was promoting her book. She was on a book tour and I was posting on her social media for her. And after we were done with that process, I was like, can you introduce me to your agent? Oh. <laughs> and that's kind of how I got connected to serendipity. But it was a process of kind of doing a few internships everywhere until I figured out a path to get here. And then just, just to skip ahead in the chronology a little bit, because of the work that you did with social media for writers, do you have a particular preference that you like to see writers who have strong social media presence? Or you're like, hey, I know what it's like, so you just be you, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> I don't always push for social media platforms and writers, but I think that it can be a great support system, especially when you're kind of going out with your projects and you're querying or you're in the process of writing something. I've seen the way that social media can kind of come together and help boost you in your moments where you're completely lost. Yeah, that's true. Personally, I have connected with writers on social media, but sometimes it feels like everyone just has this, I don't know, this craze in their head of like, must get social media, must get whatever. And they don't even know what to do at that point because yeah. it becomes so big and overwhelming. Some people are really good with social media and some people are just, it's just not their thing. I think a lot of writers worry that no one's going to look at them if it's not their thing. Oh yeah, no, it's unless you're writing nonfiction, I don't think it's a huge deal to have social media if it's just not something that you're into. Okay, and then why would you say nonfiction would be a little bit different? I think in the nonfiction space, people want to know that you have a platform in the space that you're speaking about. It's important to know that you have an audience out there who's willing to listen to you. And so it can sometimes help to have a good social media following or to show that you know how to use it because you would be responsible for doing a lot of your own promotion. Right. Would you say even if someone has a blog with a lot of readers, is that kind of the same thing? Yeah, if you have a blog, that's fantastic. I'm always impressed when people have blogs because <laughs> most of us are used to doing like small snippets on Twitter now. So a blog is just as great. I'm also impressed because I remember when everyone had a blog and then it was, wait a second, I have to keep writing to keep a blog. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then they fell off. And then there are people who, wait, you still have a blog? How do you do that? 
<laughs> and people still read it. It's so amazing. And that's not even as long as a short story, and it's so amazing. Right. <laughs> so coming into serendipity, and just, just to clarify for a second, what's the difference between being a junior agent or an agent or a senior agent? Are there differences in responsibility or just how many years you've been with the company? What's that distinction? It's kind of changing now as ALA kind of changes their format as what they describe being an agent to be. But I think that at our agency, being a junior agent means that we work in tandem with our boss and CEO, Regina Brooks. So any project that I take on, she takes on with me. We tag team everything from doing edits through submissions and through contracts. So she helps me and kind of guides me in any step of the way. Does she also read the books you've decided to take on or she's tag teaming on the business end of things? It depends on the book. If okay. it's a picture book or something like that, she will usually read it. But a lot of the time she kind of trusts us and our team to kind of workshop it together. We do a lot of presenting to the team. Everyone talks about the story. We get a lot of feedback from each other before we sign projects or go out with them. So it really is kind of a team effort. Are you one of those agencies that a query to one is a query to all or if one of you likes it, either you take it or you know someone else will like it or it's an agency where everyone should be individually queried if it comes to that? Yeah, we definitely share. You can individually query us, but if it's not a fit for us, we will definitely send it over to someone a better fit for. So it sounds like being a junior agent is kind of like an apprenticeship almost. Yeah, exactly. It's like okay. having a mentor in the entire process. Right. It makes sense. I think you do want someone to be there when you're starting out, I guess. So mm-hmm. you mentioned, what was it, the ALA? Or mm-hmm. the ALA? So will you just give a little description of that, please? Basically, what they do is they kind of help create the guidelines for agents and kind of what they do in the industry, what's kind of allowed and not allowed. And so a lot of that kind of used to be the basis as to the type of agent you were, whether or not you were considered a junior agent or a full-blown agent. A lot of that kind of works through that, and our boss, Regina Brooks, is on the board of that, so a lot of her guidelines will sometimes kind of bleed from those. It's kind of like a, uh, just a business standard, would you say? What would be a better description of that? It's an association of American literary agents. So it's kind of just like an overall encompassing, I guess, board of people who kind of help navigate what it means to be an agent in this field. Right. Well, because sometimes you have people who claim to be literary agents and it's a scam. Would the ALA be a way for people to see if someone's legit or at least know that if someone says they're part of the ALA, then you could probably trust their standards? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, now back to you. What are the kind of stories you're looking for? What talks to you? Like I said, um, I started with Twilight, so YA kind of has a soft spot in my heart. But I work with a lot of YA Middle grade, I'm just starting in picture books. I work in both the nonfiction and the fiction side. And I love stories that are intersectional. So if it's queer or black or POC, fantastic. But I really love stories that have a central friendship element. I've always said that I'm a sucker for a friendship story. So anything that involves like a strong friendship tie, I usually love immediately. If you can tie in humor or awkward quirkiness, that's fantastic. I'm a big fan of, I just finished watching Turning Red, Disney's Turning Red. And so anything that kind of can encompass that awkward confidence of being in between your teen years, but not really a child, I would love to see something like that too. This is all still in the middle grade YA, or this you'd say is true for all stories? 
I think that's for the middle grade YA space. In the younger picture book space, I love stories that don't feel too forced in the teaching element. If you can like interweave a lesson into the story, that's great. I also love diversity in those stories. And I know that's kind of a broad umbrella term, but if you can give me kind of like a sneak peek into your culture, things that your family does, give me like a kind of slice of life story in a picture book space, I would love to see something like that. Okay. Only because you specified culture, because it's not someone could just sort of write a regular story and just specify this is a black character or something. So Mm -hmm. that also, or just not just that? It could be that, but also a little bit more. Like I've seen stories where like the kids are talking about holidays that their family celebrates and what that looks like. And so like things like that, that kind of show you a new peek into culture that you might not be familiar with but in a way that feels very everyday and not like it's teaching you. Okay. And then just going back a second for the friendship thing, would you say, a lot of people say like, oh, because every story needs romance. But you're saying, no, it's not necessarily that. I'm just happy if there's a good, strong friendship there. (laughs) Yes. Romance is always a plus, but I'm happier when we're not focused on the romance and we're focused on the other relationships outside of that. Although rom-coms and things like that are really strong right now, and if you have one, I'm open to seeing it. I'm more of like the person who... So I grew up watching a lot of Boy Meets World. (laughs) This is kind of like my through-line story that I always tell. And while the world was kind of rooting for Cory and Topanga the entire series, everyone knew that the real love story of the show was Sean and Cory. And so that's (laughs) kind of the essence that I feel when I'm looking for projects like this. It's fine if you have a romance, but the true relationship for me is usually the friendship. All the things that you said, is that kind of for any genre or is there, you also have specific genres that you prefer? Oh yeah, I'm open to any genre. I do read a lot of fantasy and a lot of people send me fantasy and that's fantastic. I'm open to it, but I do read all genres. Oh, okay. I have, okay. I don't know if you'll have any comment on this because this is a very, this is my soapbox question that I'm going <laughs> to ask now. What do you think about historical fiction for young adult? Because... I've heard that, oh, it doesn't sell, don't even try, da-da-da. What do you think about that? I'm not opposed to historical fiction. and I'm also not of the belief that something just won't sell. I think anything good can sell. So I'm open to it. I think that you have to kind of come at it from a new perspective, which is kind of true of anything that you're putting out. Right. Well, I'm happy to hear that. I grew up reading historical fiction. That was always my preferred genre. And then now as an adult, and even as a writer, a lot of, it's, it's just a lot of fantasy. And a lot of what I'm writing is fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy with fantasy, but I would love to see like an explosion of historical fiction that doesn't take place in the 20th century. I want to go to more yeah. ancient history. I would love to see that. But everyone says it doesn't sell. It's like, well, then maybe you're not selling it, right? <laughs> but then it sounds almost bratty to say that. I think that the trick with doing more historical fiction is stepping outside of like Western culture. I think that might be the key to like selling historical fiction is not necessarily focusing on the Americas or even necessarily focusing on Europe, but kind of like expanding your horizon in the history you're trying to tell. Well, you see there, there's like a big explosion of Asian stories mm-hmm. now. Well, because here's, would you say that it's true that whatever story someone writes, if you strip away the genre, then the kernel of the story is going to be, okay, now I don't really know how to ask this, but I, I do know what I'm trying to ask. So for example, if we have a sci-fi story, it's a story that, that you're particularly liking. That's because if I strip away all the sci-fi elements, I'm really reading a story about a strong friendship. And that's something that's definitely universal. It's just, it's the setting that's different. That's something that's also independent of the sci-fi. The sci-fi just might tell us how... 
the friendship plays out. But at the end of the day, the story is really a friendship story, not a sci-fi story. Does that make sense? Does that? Yes. So coming at a different angle, so would you say then that for historical fiction, you have to really figure out, I know I'm harping on historical fiction, but yeah, well, I guess for any genre, (laughs) but you have to really figure out, do you have a nugget there of if I strip away the genre, if I strip away your setting, what am I finding underneath? And that's where your real sell is. I think that you can pitch it that way, but I think at the heart of every story, there is a universal human emotion. I think that as long as you can find that within any story and that it's obvious throughout the story you're telling, then you should be able to sell it. Hmm. A very good point. I don't know if you have a number for this, but if you kind of guesstimate, how many queries would you say either you personally usually see or kind of the agency as a whole? Is it tens a week? Is it hundreds a week? What are you guys looking at? Oh, gosh. A bazillion. Um, <laughs> we're currently close to queries right now. Before we were closed, we were looking at, gosh, I think we would get like 20 or so a day at least. Sometimes more than that, but around 20 or so a day. And just our children's inbox. Our agency does children's nonfiction and adult fiction. So, so you're talking about a minimum of 100 a week. Minimum. <laughs> it feels like, yeah, just about. And then how many of those would you guesstimate are ones that you'd actually look at? Are we talking about like five and a hundred, ten and a hundred? Okay, so I would look at personally? Yeah, or if you want to just kind of expand it to the whole agency, whatever number you feel more comfortable guessing at. Oh yeah, so the entire team looks at queries. We all kind of take our turn peeking in at each inbox. If I'm going through queries, I typically like to do maybe 20 a week if I can get through them. But usually everyone is doing queries at different times, so you never really know who's reading what, and we're all kind of just passing things along. Here's something that I I know has come up a lot with writers. When you're reading a query and the query itself is not so strong, how much does that actually influence you to look at the sample pages? Oh, I always look at the sample pages, no matter what. That's very reassuring to know. Well, because, you know, queries are hard. Yeah, they are. And I have experience writing cover letters, which is kind of the same thing for careers. So I know that sometimes you're just not getting your point across in the letter that you're creating and the summary that you're creating. So I always make sure to take a look at the sample pages. That's great. For you, once you do, okay, you've seen the query, you like the pages, you request, you get in full, blah, 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 et cetera. Okay, now you're signing the client. What's your job now once you sign the client? After we sign clients, my first job is to make sure that their manuscript is to a place where we're both happy with it. So we need to make sure that it's not too long or too short. We need to make sure that the message and the theme that they were trying to craft in the story gets across and that we both have an understanding as to what those themes are. So if you're writing like a rom-com, but your underlying story is like mental health, I want to make sure that that message isn't getting lost in your story. Once we have that, My job is to make sure it's packaged. We go through quickly for like spelling and grammar errors. And I start pulling my list together of editors that I think might like it. How do you know? How do you find these (laughs) editor people? We use a few things. Publishers Marketplace is kind of one. But a lot of the times, my first response would be to go and ask Regina because she has been in the in the industry for years and years now. And so she kind of has a pulse as to who might like what. So I'll check in with her, see if she had been thinking about an editor while we're in the process of getting this project or even just an imprint that she thinks might be a good fit for this. And I kind of start from there. So it's kind of your turn now for the querying is basically what happened. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Oh dear. Do you take the same query or you fix up the query that the writer sent you? Or does your query look different than what a writer sends an agent? 
it can look similar. Um, I think that the elements of the query are the same, okay. but I do usually write my own. That's good to hear for those writers who are not so great at querying. All the things that we would assume to be so, it's good, you know, you just want to verbalize it to make sure that it's all clear what that all looks like. It can be kind of like a scary process, I know, and a lot of it kind of happens over email or in ways that you're not necessarily seeing it happen live, so it's a little bit mysterious. Yeah. Yeah, well, the hallowed agents, you know, like, <laughs> just for you personally, how do you keep track of what's going on in the industry? How much do you actually have to know? How much do you have to read versus how much you have, like, I have to know basically everything, but reading is probably just a, I just have to get, a, you know, an armload in every, every couple of weeks or something. What, what's kind of that for you? Let's see. I keep track of kind of the deals that are being made, or at least I try to. Right. Social media is kind of a great resource for that because editors and authors are always excited to kind of announce the things that they're working on. So that's a great place to kind of make sure that I'm staying in tune as to what the market is doing now. But I also try to read as often as I can, which isn't always a lot of time. But <laughs> I try to make time to read the things that are coming out or that are hitting the New York Times bestseller list or things that people People recommend to me like if an editor I'm submitting to has read a book that they love and they recommend it to me I make sure I try to read it just so I kind of know and get more of a sense as to what taste is like now and what things are kind of trending and popular or right. up and coming right does it feel different to you when you're reading a book that's already been published because you're doing a lot of reading in your job are you very easily able to separate it in your brain or everything is just book world? A little bit of both, but I think that that's usually a good sign. If I'm reading a submission and I'm also reading a book that's been published and I'm not quite sure which is which, and that means that, that manuscript is like almost ready to go. Just between us and, you know, whoever else is listening, have you ever read a book and you put it down afterwards and you're like, man, I wish I was the agent on that book. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, all the time. Ah, uh, yay! Okay, I would ask you the opposite, but we don't want to go into that area. I'm like, who represented this book? That we know is very subjective, which I guess is kind of just what the industry is. You can't force someone to like something, and you can't maybe sometimes undo if someone just it doesn't resonate with someone. Yes, I've also had experiences in which when you're an author and you're querying, sometimes you get multiple offers from multiple agents, and so sometimes you lose that author, and their book comes out, and you're like wow, this is the book that I read in my inbox years ago that's now a physical manifestation of what that was. And that's always a fun experience because you move from potential professional partner to this person to like the leader of their fandom. So that's always a fun thing. That's pretty cool. Well, what would you say, just to put it out there, any lucky writer who does get multiple agents who are interested in their stuff, what would you say kind of is a good protocol to follow if that occurs? I always encourage clients to make sure that they're comfortable having a relationship with that person you want to be sure that the agent that you work with you feel comfortable enough to kind of have conversations with them or reach out to them if you have questions a lot of working with someone is kind of asking questions being open to conversations and kind of navigating things that you don't understand so I always make sure to tell the author or the client in general that whoever you choose Make sure that you're comfortable talking to them and that you want to work with them for a long time. Because traditionally, these relationships should last you for a while. Right. The authors that are your clients, just you personally, do you kind of check in with them once a month or once every once in a while? You just wait to hear from them? You have some sort of sheet of like, oh, I haven't heard from her in a couple of months. Let's follow up. Or what do you personally do with your client list? Oh, yeah. I check in with my clients all the time, especially if we're on submission with a project or we're working on something to get done. If they're in the process of writing something, I'm usually a little bit more mellow because I know that 
writing just takes time. So I try not to rush them on that, but I do tend to check in with my authors often. You have authors who sometimes, those who are already your clients, they say, look, I got this idea and I have no idea what to do with it, but I know I have a story here. And then you guys have to have some sort of powwow or something like, all right, here are your options. Let's see what you can do with it. (laughs) I haven't had that yet, but I have seen that happen before. And it's always so fun to kind of see that take place where you're kind of like just spitballing ideas until it becomes a book. That's something that Regina is fantastic at. And watching it, it always kind of feels like magic. You, you really get to see the growth of it. It's like watching a plant grow. And what's it called when they speed up the frames? You know, they have... Yes. Mm-hmm. What, well, okay, well, you know what I mean. Whatever that thing's called. That's what it feels like. <laughs> okay, but also going back for a second for keeping track of the industry. Are you picking up books, whether or not they're the books that you would necessarily represent? And you're, just, you're keeping just a broad kind of reading list going? Or are you very specifically within the stories that are your kind of stories? Oh yeah, I definitely try to read a little bit of everything. Even if I don't necessarily finish the book, I'll at least kind of pick it up and look through it and kind of see what might be there that was calling to audiences. And I'm a frequent visitor of my local library, so that's kind of where I keep continuously do that. Yeah, very good for browsing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes if you're at the library, are you looking for specific titles or you're just, what cover is going to call to me now? Oh, a little bit of both. Sometimes I'll look for titles, especially if I've been recommended something. A lot of the times the libraries usually have like displays, which are always fun, especially in like months like National Poetry Month or things like that. So I'll usually check out those titles as well. But I also am a sucker for a good cover. And so if a cover looks really cute or it has like really good colors or if it looks textured, I'm usually pretty drawn to it. How much do you deal with when once a client signed with an editor? I know the publishing house takes over mainly from there and your role is not as main as it was to just get them there. But if a cover comes in, they're sending it to you before the author or you get both get it at the same time. How does that part work? Usually we both get it at the same time. Thank and you. then I kind of make sure to check in with the author and see how they're feeling about it. But the editor is usually also very informed by this point as well. Covers kind of just don't come out of the fly. Yeah. A lot of times we kind of have conversations about covers that we love, covers from books that you've enjoyed in the past so that the person designing the cover gets a feel for it. So we're all kind of a team and making sure that the cover feels right. Would you say 99.9% of the time everyone's happy with the cover? From your own experience. I think so, yeah. I think that because there's so much teamwork that goes into cover design, by the time we kind of land on one that everyone loves, we're usually happy with it. Yeah. It's all these things that writers, all of a sudden, I think, once you've spent so much time working on a manuscript and you've put so much into it, you're afraid to let it go. Even though you want it to be published, but you get afraid of, but what if they change a word? Or what if they, what if I don't like the color? Whatever, whatever. It's like everybody calm down. Everyone wants it to be perfect and beautiful. Yeah. We're all a team on this. It's all a partnership. Okay. You don't have to get specific. Have you ever had a writer who was really stuck on doing a certain idea that you didn't love? Like a certain point in the plot and you're like, as long as the editor approves of it, I'm just going to let it go. Or <laughs> does that happen sometimes with agents and writers? You can just ask it like that. Um... I don't think I've had that happen to me, but I'm also in the belief that like I don't necessarily know everything and so I'm always willing to like try it out. If my author has a project or an idea that I'm not quite sure about, but they're very passionate about it, I'm like, well, let's just talk to two editors about it and see what they say. Let's like get some feedback, see if it really works or if maybe we should rework it a little bit more. So I'm always kind of willing to not say no too quickly. Ah, very good. 
And one more question, and then we'll do the wrap. As a general thing, what would be like a dream contract that you could land for a writer as far as keep the book in print for hardcover for five years, then it's in paperback for perpetuity or, well, you know, whatever it is. Using just general terms, what would be kind of ideal things that you want to aim for in a contract? One of the things yeah. that I always make sure to ask my clients when I'm signing them is what their dream is for the project or for their career. Kind of like what is their biggest dream that they see for the book? If they could dream their biggest, what would it look like? And so my dream contract would probably be making sure that their dream works out, regardless of what it was. If it was like a multi-series deal or if it was like a hardcover and then paperback releases and then a film project. Whatever their dream was for the book, my dream would be to make sure that I made that happen. Okay, I'm glad you specified like that because I was going to ask how could the projects differ. But you sort of answered that with either series or, or whatever. Would you say that a lot of contracts do look the same or every single contract is going to be a unique contract? A lot of them are pretty standard and pretty similar and then just different numbers are changing or each contract is a totally different situation. It's hard to say. I'm not quite sure I can speak to too much experience with contracts just yet. If I had to guess, I would say that they do kind of vary depending on the kind of story that you're selling in regards to whether or not you're selling something that goes to series and the type of deal you get for that versus selling a picture book or even like a board book, things can be a little bit different. So I'd say that the genre or the style of book that you're writing probably plays a huge role in what your contract will look like. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so now I'm gonna ask one more question. Only because you mentioned it, you said that you're starting to get into nonfiction for adults. So maybe you wanna just describe or throw out there a little bit what you're looking for in that area? Oh yeah, so I'm in the process of kind of expanding into the nonfiction space as well as the adult fiction space. Specifically in nonfiction and adult, I have been looking into a lot of books that kind of focus on experiences of minority groups, particularly in therapy or history or things like that. So I've been working with or trying to work with a lot of therapists to kind of get their books. So anything in the mental health space or things that kind of deal with culture and cultural impact, as well as history that we just kind of haven't heard about yet. I'm looking for all of that. That you branched into nonfiction. Was it just because hey, I realize these books interest me also, so let's look for them. Or one of your clients was like, I got this nonfiction. And once you started learning, because you had to pitch their books, so you're like, well, I may as well maybe make a thing of this because I had to do so much work for it. I was actually working with a mentor who was kind of in the nonfiction space, and they were kind of telling me about the process into like finding nonfiction authors. And she was basically like, you know, I read a lot of articles, or I listen to podcasts, or I hear things on the news. I'm always like, I wonder if there's a deeper story there. And then once she told me that, I started doing that too. I would listen to a podcast episode, or I would read an article, and I'd be like, I wonder if this could be a book. And so that's kind of how I got into the process of starting to look at to nonfiction. Would you say that the nonfiction world, as far as the editors and the publishers of nonfiction, it's a whole new, I guess, branch of publishing? Or is there a lot of crossover at all? Or is they're they're kept as very separate things? I think it can be separate, but you'd be surprised the amount of editors that also do fiction and nonfiction. Usually it kind of just depends on the topic. It's really kind of just playing a game and seeing who has the same interest in you in regards to nonfiction. Okay. Because only because of imprints are sometimes very specific. So does that mean an editor could sometimes cross between imprints or their imprint might allow for them to be publishing fiction and nonfiction? 
Oh yeah, occasionally an imprint will allow for fiction and nonfiction, depending on the age range. So I know a lot of editors who do nonfiction children's books as well as fiction children's books, like in the middle grade YA space, things like that. So it all just depends. Okay, that makes sense. And I can't say one more question, but I just realized, did you specify actually what you're looking for, for for younger age nonfiction? Oh no, in the younger nonfiction space, I'm kind of open to anything. Again, I want to emphasize marginalized voices, but honestly, if you have an interesting story, memoir always works for me. But also if you're working in kind of like the prescriptive or self-help space in the younger genres, that works as well. Oh, so an adult writing for younger kids, or like if a younger kid has a memoir to write? If you have a story to tell about someone who is younger, like a teen kind of story or something like I Am Malala. The book is like a nonfiction young adult book, things like that. Yeah, that's a great example. Very good. So we always wrap up with the fill in the blank question of I really like it when books, authors, fellow agents, publishers, covers, stories, librarians, bookstores, choosing one. I really like it when they do X and I really don't like it when choosing one does X. How would you fill in the blank for that? I really like when books can surprise me in a way that either makes me laugh or makes me just shocked. I'm always open to kind of like being thrown off guard, especially when I think I know what the story is going to be. So anything that can surprise me, I'm usually open to it. I really don't like love triangles. That's not really my favorite trope. I'm not opposed to choosing yourself. Oh, okay, bye to both of them. But I'm going to find a friend to hang out with, right? Yes. That's, yeah, there we go. Back to the friendships. See, we're coming full circle back to the friendships. Always comes back to the friendships. <laughs> that is very important. Absolutely. Amira, thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me today. And it was fun talking with you. Of course. Thanks for having me. I really had a good time. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring junior agent Amira Holiday. To find out more about Amira and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. Find out more about Oh My Word Podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to. Please follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word Podcast and check us out at eltenamount.com and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.